Welcome to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to inspire, inform, and stimulate. Bringing you enlightened discussions with authors, creatives, innovative business and health professionals, and ordinary people living extraordinary lives. Sharing their expertise and life stories. Making a difference one word at a time. Now, here's your host, Vicki St. Clair. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Coming up in the second half of today's show, we'll be featuring some of my summer reading recommendations from fiction to memoir and nonfiction. And uh, Eric Ryder will be joining us for that segment. It's always fun for us to be able to connect for a change on air. Um, I'll also have a downloadable list for you if you'd like to get a copy of the full 50 book reading guide, because we're only going to be able to go over a few today. But first, we'll be discussing turning to midlife mindfully, how literature can be good for self-prescribed, can be good self-prescribed medicine, and how stories can help us work through life crises. My guest is Dr. Joseph Cardillo. He's a returning guest to Conversations Live. That means he's one of our favorites and the perfect person to cover this topic. Dr. Cardillo is an inspirational speaker and renowned expert on energy teaching. He's a nationally best-selling author of several, uh, book, several books in the fields of health, mind, body, spirit, and psychology. His books include Body Intelligence, Harness Your Body's Energies for Your Best Life, and Can I Have Your Attention?, and the Body Energy Classic, Be Like Water. And in addition, he's co-written books for Harvard Health Publications. I think this is the third time he's joining us today. Dr. Joseph Cardillo, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I love being on your show. <laughs> and and I, I love having you on the show. And um, I occasionally jump on Psychology Today, and I saw you got these great articles out on a subject I was thinking about, and I was like, perfect. <laughs> and, and here we are. So um, I just want to take a few minutes, first of all, because um, your book, uh, Be Like Water, we haven't discussed that. We, we've discussed body intelligence and some of the principles in that, which is a, an awesome book. Um, but just tell us a little bit about what Be Like Water is about, because there's a <coughs> you have a martial, um, th there's, a, there's an influence there. Tell us what it is. Yeah, there's a big influence. I, I've been practicing martial arts uh, pretty much my whole life. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, so decades. Um, and um, when, when I started the whole um, mind-body uh, probe, uh, you know, I had to start with that because it's really influenced me uh, since my childhood. I, I actually, um, <clears throat> in New York, I, I taught martial arts uh, for 25 years. Oh, wow. Um, and I insisted on teaching for free. Um, I, I did that because I, I so believe uh, that that philosophy uh, and technique, uh, you know, can, that Eastern philosophy and technique as exhibited in the martial arts, um, and also um, as I got older, as understood, um, you know, through Western science, could really be a very powerful uh, transcendent transformational uh, uh, exercise, uh, activity, uh, for really anyone. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I, I've, had, I've had colleagues teach, teach martial arts to people in hospitals um, who really, you know, are, are immobile. Um, and, you know, we found ways 
you know, to, to, to teach martial arts philosophy and movement. And, you know, that it's, it's funny that you ask me that, too, because I've been thinking a lot more about it lately. Um, you know, there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of literature coming out these days now. You know, I, and, and I wrote that book. I was writing it, you know, 20 years ago. And, and completed it about 15 years ago. But there's a lot of literature now that's taken a look at how movement uh, facilitates, you know, ingraining or, you know, as we say, in training right. uh, information so that we can, you know, then rely on it triggering our automatic responses in daily life. Mm-hmm. A lot of literature on that. You know, right. uh, I was just looking at some literature on on depression and and anxiety control and how once it's in, if you can incorporate movement with other you know uh, more cognitive techniques that that it, it facilitates and really uh, that goes all the way back to the martial arts. Anyway, yeah. you know, I, I involved myself at a very young age in five different martial arts. <laughs> Well, well, that makes sense because it's been, it's a practice, martial arts, whatever form you practice has been around for thousands of years and for it to continue, there's, there's got to be proven benefit there. So, and I know this kind of carries a little bit into your other book that we have talked about, Body Intelligence, Harness Your Body's Energies, Your Best Life, because you say we have to harness the energy of our body before we can harness the energy of our mind. So that kind of fits in there too, right? Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, we all know it's a two-way street as well. But uh, we know that, that, that we can use the body <clears throat> to balance the mind, particularly when the mind is, you know, is struggling a little. You know, we, we don't want a, a fatigued mind imposing its influence on an otherwise, uh, <clears throat> you know, pretty healthy body. Right, right. So we're going to focus today on um, how literary stories can help us through midlife crisis. I mean, we say midlife, but those kind of life crises can come at any age. You can be in your 20s, you can be in your 60s. Uh, they hit yeah, us, Absolutely. They hit us whenever. We don't have control over those most of the time. Um, what, yeah, and I don't know who said it has to happen just once. <laughs> really? Because I, I know I've had more than one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think most people have. So, But what was it that interested you in, in making the parallel between stories um, and and life crises and, and how they can help us get through those? Um, well, I think, you know, I think in my article <clears throat> for Psychology Today, and, 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 and even now, I think I must confess, <laughs> you know, several, several years back, you know, quite a few years back, um, <clears throat> you know, I got together uh, with a bunch of uh, individuals, and we hosted uh, a series of writers for the community. And, you know, we tried to get some of the, the best and often diverse uh, writers we could uh, in, into our community. And as part of the, as part of the bargain, we got, to, we got to have lunch and dinners uh, with, with some of these, our favorite authors. Um, and one of the things that amazed me as a young man, I was pretty young back then when we did that and didn't realize all this, I, I thought that... You know, I walked away amazed uh, by the, uh, the amount of information and the amount of uh, interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary information that these writers really had, you know, in their head as they wrote 
uh, many of the things that they were writing. Uh, you know, I was blown away uh, by the amount of information. And, and, and even recently, I've been thinking back on, on those writers and, you know, looking at some of the things that they said decades ago, uh, you know, about neurology, you know, about psychology, uh, you know, social uh, uh, references that they made and so on, and, and how, how accurate, you know, so much of it uh, is. You know, I take a look at, you know, a poet like Gary Snyder, uh, who, who's the great environmental poet, and some of the things that he was saying about the environment, you know, decades ago uh, are just ringing true today. Right. And, and, but back then, of course, we didn't know it would ring true today. It just amazed me uh, that that interdisciplinary matrix that they were writing from. And so, you know, I tried to, I tried to locate it more so in their work. And I also tried to locate it more so in my life because I realized that that, that matrix of multiple disciplines and, and a good information base on them uh, you know, really enlivens almost every experience that we have. Mm. I, I studied British literature, and so one of the things that I learned, um, and even when I was at school, when I was like 10 and 11 and 12, you know, was studying the poets, you realize uh, that people go through the same things. And um, one thing that always struck me was uh, Dante's opening to his Inferno. And I, I think, uh, was it like around 1200, I think, when he wrote that? And he, he's hit midlife and he goes, is this all there is? <laughs> so you just realize that, you know, people through the centuries face the same problems. And I think reading their stories and how they got out of them is, is um, very enlightening in many ways. Oh, many. And, and you know, that, that comes to mind, too, you know, that that idea of being out in the dark. Right. <laughs> you know? And now what? Now what do we do, you know? And, you know, one of the, love, one of the writers I love so much is Joseph Campbell, the, you know, the great yes, mythologist. Yes. And, and, you know, one of the things that he talked about uh, was, you know, the creation of new myths and, and, and the continuous creation of new myths. And, and so, you know, in a way, you know, I, you know, I felt, I don't know if, Joseph Campbell would, would agree, but I felt that, that in the world of art, particularly in the world of literature, but all art, um, you have the possibility of creating the new myth and, and, and to keep it you know, a progressive thing mm-hmm. so that it's flexible and able to change, especially with fiction and poetry, right. completely able to change with need. Right, right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'd like to look at a couple of the stories that you wrote about in these articles in Psychology Today um, to kind of illustrate that point, because I, I found it quite fascinating. We're talk- oh, that'd be great. Yeah, we're talking today with Dr. Joseph Cardillo. Um, his book is called Body Intelligence, Harness Your Body's Energies for Your Best Life. Uh, he has a ton of work up on his website, and uh, we'll give out his website before we leave today. Uh, We're just going to take a quick break. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Parkinson's disease affects as many as one million people in the United States. At the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, it's our mission to beat this disease. To learn about the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, or if you want to help support our work, visit our website, pdf.org, or call us at 800-457-6676. In the Northwest, contact the Northwest Parkinson's Foundation at nwpf.org. 
Have fun this boating season and be safe. When you're in open water, it's not enough to be a good swimmer. River currents, ocean riptides, and cold temperatures can quickly sweep you off course and disorient you. Don't rely on swim aids such as water wings or noodles. Everyone should wear a Coast Guard approved life jacket. Make sure you know CPR and never drink and boat. Learn more about boating safety from the professionals at uscgboating.org. Brought to you by supporters of Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Hi, I'm your host, Smokey Cole Bear. Filling in for Smokey, because after 75 years of... Only you can prevent wildfires. Turns out there's much more to say. Nearly 90% of wildfires are caused by us humans being careless, dumping our used barbecue coals willy-nilly. Guess the song was wrong. We did start the fire. That's why I respect Mother Nature and her trees, whether coniferous or new car scented. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Coming up July 15th on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, we'll take a deep dive into friendship. Why some people have many friends, others just one or two. Why friendships last or don't. Why it's harder to develop deep friendships as you get older. And how to spot the red flags of a toxic relationship before it's too late. Tune in Mondays at noon Pacific and Fridays at 6 a.m. Find more details at conversationslive.net. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Listeners trust the show and advertisers love the audience. Learn more at conversationslive.net. Wherever you go, Alternative Talk 1150 is here for you. And welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And my guest is Dr. Joseph Cardillo. And we're talking today um, about how literary uh, stories can help us work through crises, whether they're midlife or whether it's your second midlife crisis or your third, <laughs> but how they can inform us and help us work through them. And um, one of the stories that I liked that you wrote about in, in your articles in Psychology Today was um, one of Raymond Carver's stories. It was about a cardiologist called Mel McGuinness. I wonder if you'd share the highlights of that with us and why you pulled that one out in particular. Well, one of the reasons I pulled that one out is because he really zeroes in on, on midlife crisis. I mean, he really, <clears throat> he even has the, the ages that are most commonly associated with it. Uh, you know, Mel's 45 years old. Um, several of the, uh, the I, I believe uh, at least one of the women in the story uh, is, is 35. Um, so it's it's right, you know, it's right where a lot of people start to, peg, you know, the, the time frame in which, you know, they believe midlife occurs. But like we said, you know, who says it has to happen once? And, right. And who says, right, right. You know, that, you know, you can't have, feel that way at, at 18. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> I like that particular story. Um, it's, it's one of Carver's, um, I think, most read stories. Uh, and, uh, and so I, I wanted to say a little bit about the, the midlife uh, angle on that particular story. Uh, one interesting thing that caught my attention uh, about that story uh, is that, you know, Mel, of course, is a cardiologist, and, and all through the story, um, <clears throat> I'm not going to ruin it for people so they can read it and enjoy it themselves, but all through the story, he's talking about what, what true love might be. 
And the reason he's talking about it is, is because he feels he hasn't experienced it yet. Um, and as he's talking about this with his friends, you know, around and around they go uh, with drinks, um, you, know, you know, to augment their conversation. So with that, that kind of paralleled for me uh, Plato's Symposium. Uh, and in Plato's Symposium, you know, the question would appear and, you know, students might pass around a wine flask and discuss, uh, you know, a topic like love. What is love? And in fact, there was a symposium on love. And, and by the end of the symposium, they realized um, through question and answer that, 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 that the highest form of love had to be something that goes beyond the physical, some significance that goes beyond the, the physical. And so they use the term spiritual, uh, not as a denominational term, but as something metaphysical that we can experience. Right. Uh, and that's what Mel was missing, was that. The, the interesting thing is, is that, that in, uh, in, in, in that particular story, he doesn't realize that entirely. But we, the readers, do. And so there's an interesting juxtaposition. So we're looking at his sad situation in a way, and it's comical too. You know, the story's kind of like a tragic comedy. But, but you know, we're looking at his sad situation, and we're saying, you know, I'm not going to let that happen to me. Right, right. And one of the interesting things I, I took away um, was that he wanted to put more armor around himself, you say, uh, yeah. so that no one can get to him. But, but that also put a wall between himself and his solution. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he didn't realize, you know, and so we could, put, we could put so much psychology into this if we wanted to, but even if we didn't want to, if we just wanted to look at it as pure story, he realized, well, he didn't realize, but the you know the audience, the readers realize that the very things that he's doing are kind of working against what he's trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I guess that you know, going back to your original question, I believe that that is is what was my impetus in writing <clears throat> these articles because I think we all go through this, and I think we go through it. I really believe that it's not a one-time thing. It, you know, at different phases of our lives, we stop and question and say, what, you know, what is it that I'm doing? Uh, you know, am right. I doing the right thing? And we're aware of, you know, how, we're aware of time right. and, you know, really what we have left. And that's really part of being mindful, right? Because we can go through just blindly and not question anything. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and so much, you know, <clears throat> One of the things, uh, I'm actually working on a new book, and part of, the, part of the material of my new book deals with just how automatic and autopilot our lives really are. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, if we've perfected something, maybe it's a good thing we put it on autopilot. We do it, you know, lovely all the time um, and don't have to think about it. Uh, so, you know, it can be a good thing, but it can also be pretty detrimental because we make some very big... <laughs> We make some huge life decisions on autopilot. You know, you're wondering, you know, who's thinking that through? Uh, and, uh, you know, and that's, and that's the way it is with Mal. He's so reactive. Right, And right. you can see he's not thinking much through. 
So even we, as a cardiologist, <laughs> right? Well, well, he's probably really busy as well. So he doesn't yeah. have a great deal of time. You do talk about, you know, how busy, busy we need to take that time for ourselves. Yeah. And I, I, we should say, I don't think I mentioned it in the beginning that that story is called "What We Talk About When We Talk About Love." It's by yeah. Raymond Raymond Carver, and uh, of course, you know, by reading uh, his story, we hopefully we we can be more intentional and um, focused on on our own situations. <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the other stories you write about, and I love this too, because it has a lot of different layers to it, is one of Steinbeck's stories. And that's the story. It's a short story. Uh, it's called The Chrysanthemums. And uh, it's about a 35-year-old Elisa Allen's life. She's the, the protagonist in, in the story. And um, she's stuck She's stuck. I think this is a, a situation many people find themselves in and they just don't know how to get out, uh, whether it's a work situation, a marriage situation, a life situation. So why did you choose this story? Oh, for that reason right there, because, <clears throat> because so many people feel stuck. And, you know, it's either a relationship or work uh, or... You know, something like that. They, they, you know, they're, you know, where, where they feel they've plateaued in some way, or they feel they, they're being held back in some way. Um, and, and so many people are experiencing that, uh, that it's amazing. Last time I looked at it, about um, just over 80% of people, you know, felt disengaged at, at, at work. I, yes. I did my own uh, um, study on that and found that, that, about 80, I think it was 82% of, of people uh, felt that, that, they, that, that their, their, their most profound talents were, were completely unknown at work. And so, you know, here I am going, doing, going and doing something on a daily basis, and people don't even know what I'm about. And I, and I think that there are plenty of us who, who feel that way. Right. That's why I, I picked that one. Right, right. And there's also a gender issue in there as well because of the time period. But, I mean, we're still seeing some of that happen today. <laughs> but it, it's so multi-layered, that story. I thought it was very um, powerful. And she, um, well, we don't want to give away the ending in case people want to read No, that, but, but you're but, right. There was, a, there was a wonderful gender issue yeah. in that story. I mean, from the beginning, uh, you know, she's kind of outnumbered, <laughs> you know. From the beginning, I, I think there's like four men over here and one one woman over here, and she's kind of outnumbered. Yet, yet she's got more passion to do what she's doing than any of them. Right, <laughs> and, and you know, and and then the story ensues. Right. So, tell us about a time when you've got stuck, if you would, Doctor Joe, and and when and how you've worked through that yourself. Because even though you, you do this for a living, um, I'm, you, you face the same problems we all do. Oh yeah, of course. You know, <clears throat> I, I you know when I when I was at, when I was an undergraduate and, and got out of school, I you know I finished I finished my, my bachelor's degree and I and I landed you know a job. It wasn't in anything that I approved of nor liked. <laughs> you know, it was just something uh, to keep me going. Um, you know, and, and, and able to take care of myself, you know, on my own. And, and so, you know, probably, uh, you know, I want to think back to that. Probably I was, I was in that, in that job, 
for, for the better part of a year and a half anyway, if not two years. Um, and, and it wasn't getting any better, you know, and I had to sit back and kind of figure out, you know, what is it, you know, that I want to be doing with myself? Right. And, you know, what is it that'll bring me more, more pleasure than this? And, and for me, I, you know, I got to say that it's actually kind of funny and I, you know, so I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the truth about this, <laughs> you know, for anybody listening out there, this is what happened to me at that time, <clears throat> at that time, educators, uh, we're getting about $6,000 a year, isn't that something? Mm-hmm. So the starting salary for, for a teacher uh, was about $6,000 a year. Uh, the starting salary at a, at a college was about about 9000 at that time. Um, so I, I was offered a job at that time for $11,000. And, you know, everybody, you know, in my family and my friends around me said, oh, well, you, you know, you must be thrilled. Uh, but I got the job. It had nothing at all to do with, you know, with, with anything I'd studied. It had nothing to do with the only, the only part of the job that I enjoyed and the reason I got the job was because I was good at mathematics. Right. And so I got the job of designing steel roofs for buildings. Oh, wow. So I was working. <laughs> Can, can you, doesn't that blow your mind? It does. I worked, <laughs> I worked designing steel roofs for a building for a steel manufacturer. Wow. You know, I, I love telling that story because nobody would believe it. <laughs> right, right. Well, you, you know, but it, it, was a, it was because I was good at math. It had nothing to do at all with what I had studied. I, so I, you know, I, I quit <laughs> after about a year of making pretty good money. For the time, remember, uh, you know, college professors at the time were making nine thousand, right. and high school teachers about that. So I quit, and and you know, now what? <laughs> right. So it's a fascinating story, and, and it just shows that um, we don't have to be stuck. We don't have to be stuck. And uh, I really enjoy talking with you about Back these to stories. School, you know, and got and got a job for for two thousand dollars less. Yeah. But I was happy. Yeah, that makes a big and difference. And then the rest of my life ensued yes. from that because it grew out of that in the right direction. Right. It grew out of happiness and joy with what you're doing and, and, you know, in some sense of authenticity, you know, a little. I don't want to sit here and say, oh, I was, you know, some sense. Right, right, right. Well, that's what we're striving for. We're all a work in progress, right? Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you joining us today. I want to encourage listeners to uh, check out your book, Body Intelligence, Harness Your Body's Energies for Your Best Life. You can find out much more um, about Dr. Joe at his website, which is joecardillo.com. Uh, um, links to all the articles that we you know, and some of them that we talked about today are up there and also Psychology Today. And um, I have to just... Share the the poem that made a huge difference in my life was when I went back to school when I was I don't know my late thirties and I was studying Brit Lit, and I read Emily Dickinson's poem when I was going to school pretty much full time, working full time as a senior manager and had no free time. And her poem was because I could not stop for death, it kindly stopped for me. Ah, yeah, <laughs> that made a big impact for me, and I periodically will read it just to remind myself. <laughs> but I, I thank you so much for being with us today. It was a pleasure talking with you again. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's always such a lively discussion. Thank you. 
All right, we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll be looking at our uh, summer reading list, and I also have a couple of books to give away. So please stay with us. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicky St. Clair. Let's see if I... I guess that... <sighs> this just isn't working. Knowing you have a great idea for a book is one thing. Writing it, another. So what's stopping you? Maybe you can't find time. Maybe you don't know where to begin. Maybe you wrote a couple of chapters, then disappeared down a rabbit hole. Or maybe you'd rather someone else write it for you. Partnering with the right coach or ghostwriter can make all the difference between talking about your book and finishing your book. As an award-winning writer and strategic consultant, Vicki St. Clair's storytelling credits span from business, health, self-help, and memoir to New York Times and USA Today best-selling anthologies. Vicki partners with people just like you at the exact level you need, whether you need a little encouragement, editorial guidance, or full-blown ghostwriting and consulting services. If you're serious about telling the story you know is inside you, stop procrastinating. Let's get your story down on paper. Contact Vicki today. Email Vicki at VickiStClair.com or call 1-800-495-7617. See more about Vicki and her work at VickiStClair.com. My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. This is Martha Norwalk every Sunday morning beginning at 9 a.m. Thanks in part to Darcy Pariso, animal communicator, medium, and Reiki master, we cover the world of animals. This Sunday, July 14th, it's Best Sunday with Dr. Nels Rasmussen and his sister Linda Rasmussen in the studio. Together, they can help you or your animal friends with emotional, behavioral, or physical problems. So plan to call in for your free remote treatment on Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Do something different with your spare time. Give baby animals at Paws a fresh start. With the assistance of caring volunteers, Paws helps hundreds of orphaned and sick kittens and puppies each year. Join us and save lives. Become a Paws foster care volunteer. For more information, visit paws.org or 425-787-2500. Paws.org or 425-787-2500. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Live well and live strong. Reach her great audience and advertise. Learn more at conversationslive.net. Conversation you won't find on the rest of the dial. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. <laughs> You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And uh, today we're bringing you our summer, part of our summer reading list. I have 50 books total, but we're just going to share a few with you today, uh, time permitting. Um, I was going to bring it a couple of weeks ago, but I ended up having laryngitis. I woke up with absolutely no voice, and so we had to put it off. So Eric Ryder is joining us today. We get to goof around for a bit for the next... Good afternoon. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) We get to goof around for a bit, which is nice because we never get a chance to really talk very much. True, yeah. So... um, do you, I'm going to let you kick off if you want. So we've got a list of books each here, and um, we're just going to run through them. And uh, I have a couple of books to give away as well. So Sure, we'll and these are between. great for reading on the beach this summer. That, that's the big 
that's the kind of the concept that we're looking at here. Well, yeah, and some of them are a bit heavier than others, but um, not everybody likes a light beach read. Sure. Uh, some find it doesn't have to be on the beach, of course, exactly. wherever they're, they're just, you like to books. do your reading. Now, but. I should say that not all of them are, are brand new books, but um, Good. Mo- most of them are, but not all, because there are some that, you know, you just suddenly... Like one of these I just suddenly came across. This has been out for a little while. but Yeah, I'll let you in on a secret. I very, very rarely read a brand new book. It usually takes, you know, a little bit of time from when the book gets on my radar before I finally get around to reading it. It becomes a classic yeah. before you get to it. <laughs> Sometimes, sadly, yes. So, you know, books that are a few years old are right up my alley. Um, and uh, But this is a new book uh, that uh, I want to talk about right now. It's called City of Girls. It's by Elizabeth Gilbert, who you pointed out uh, wrote the best-selling book, Eat, Pray, Love. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Well, this, uh, this one sounds interesting. Vivian Morris looks back on her unconventional life in New York City beginning in the 1940s when she was sent to live with her Aunt Peg above a small theater and uh, kicking off her free-spirited life of pleasure, love, and friendship. That's almost, that could have been a title, like, you pray love, pleasure, love, and friendship. <laughs> <laughs> the characters make the story come alive, and they're unapologetically frivolous and fun, which is, you know, something you might not expect for a character set in World War II, but it's less about the war and more about the characters, and explores women's sexuality and promiscuity and society's judgment of those things, especially in women. Most of them are body badass ladies. <laughs> I didn't write that. <laughs> in, in an era when lady, <laughs> ladies weren't generally badass or body. But uh, apparently it's also a heartwarming tribute to love, friendship, and chosen family. So right. worth checking out, it sounds like. I've heard good things about it. I have not read that one. Um, I haven't really been able to get into Elizabeth Gilbert's work myself very mm-hmm. much, but I know hundreds of people, thousands of people love her books, millions. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to bring that to everyone today because I've heard really good things about it from her fans. So. Cool. Again, yeah. it's called City of Girls, and it's by Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah, good. So uh, the book that I'm going to kick off with is not a new book. It came out in October, I think it was about October 2018. Yeah, uh, it came out in hardback and it was, it's by Susan Orlin, another uh, great writer here. And she wrote the, the Orchid Thief, which was made into an award-winning movie. Um, it was, I've forgotten the name of it now. What was it? Adapt, adaption or something it was about music uh, guy but anyway (laughs) i digress here the (laughs) the book we're talking about now is called the library book by susan orlean and um this is based on a true story because she does write mostly true stories and she spent six years investigating the largest library fire in u.s history which i didn't know about until i read uh, this they the blaze destroyed um almost half a million books it damaged over half a million. It damaged about 700,000 others. And it closed the library for seven years. And um, this might seem kind of, well, who'd write a book about a fire in a library that happened in 1986? But it's really quite fascinating because she goes into look at, she reinvestigates the story, really. And um, she talks about uh, the rescue effort, which I think was amazing by the Angelinos living there at the time. They raced, they literally raced to the stacks uh, of the books 
um, in, the, in the burning library and they formed a human chain passing books hand, hand to hand down the chain to get them out of the library to save the books, which I think is a wonderful story. And um, it's, it's been on the Los Angeles Times bestseller list for more than 30 weeks. It's uh, one of the most requested titles by readers at county libraries this year. So it's quite fascinating, really. Very good. And uh, not an instruction manual, thankfully. No, not an <laughs> instruction manual. No. So it, it just to you alluded to the fact that Susan Orlean is the author of The Orchid Thief, which was turned into the film Adaption. Adaption. Which was it. a Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones movie uh, that was uh, in 2002 was a hit movie and uh, very interesting film. And actually, now that you reminded me of it, I kind of want to go back and check out The Orchid Thief because it was... Uh, Really interesting how they uh, adapted that. Uh, it was a, if you haven't seen that movie, very, I won't spoil it. It's but. very interesting how yeah. they adapted it because, you know, from book to screen doesn't always come. I, right. I was like, what? <laughs> when I first watched it. Exactly. <laughs> what? Are we talking about the same book here? Yeah. So um, I'm gonna, anyway. I think I'm going to have to go back and investigate both of those again. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that was the library book by Susan Orlean. Fantastic. Um, so let's talk about The Bride Test now by Helen Hoang. And uh, this is her second book. It follows the story of Kai Deep, a man who doesn't think he's capable of having feelings. He's still unconvinced when his family tries to assure him that his autism makes his him process his emotions differently. And the story evolves as his mom sets out to find him the perfect bride in Vietnam. Yeah, interesting story um, because there's a cultural aspect to it and also the autism aspect to it. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed, uh, and we've actually had a few authors on the show who've had uh, characters in their books with autism. It's coming um, to the forefront, and I think it's important that that characters like that are included in books. So um, I've never read... Her, I didn't read her other work. She's only got one other book, I think, out before this one. But, yeah, this um, is her second book. Interesting. Again, it's called The Bride Test. The Bride Test. And um, I want to do this, and then I'll give away a book, and we'll go to break. So um, this is by the winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature, Toni Morrison. She's got a huge, huge following. And this book is called The Source of Self-Regard. And uh, it's a series, it's a collection of essays, speeches, and meditations on culture, art, social justice that spans four decades. It includes her uh, 1993 Nobel Lecture, her bittersweet James Baldwin eulogy. Uh, she comments on, uh, gives commentary on Martin Luther King's speeches. And, uh, and then there are also works of her own um, that, that many aren't familiar with. So I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, book to pick. And um, as I said, she's the winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature, Toni Morrison. The book is called The Source of Self-Regard. And so I think this is a, the kind of book um, that I'd take to the beach because I do have a short attention span on the beach. And so it's shorter stories. It's shorter meditations. Uh, you know, you don't have to uh, get interrupted and and uh, you can just yeah. pick it up and carry on. And I want to give away a book. Um, let's do this. Let's do this because it's kind of different. Um, it's called Fearless Success. And it's actually um, more of a business book. This is a business book. But the reason I picked this 
um, we had it on our shelves uh, sent to us. It's, it's by John Foley. He's a former lead solo pilot of the Blue Angels. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. Who, of course, fly right past our studio every year. <laughs> yes, and I thought it was timely because they've been practicing. I've, I've been hearing fighter planes all weekend over my house down south. Well, I I, that was for the air show the, uh, for the 4th the of t- July down in Tacoma. Yeah. Right, but I heard them after that. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I, was like, okay, I think some of them were going home after a long weekend. Either we've weekend. gone to war or they're, they're still practicing. <laughs> Fingers crossed it was Please. just for the air show. <laughs> but anyway, I thought this was timely because it is a good book. We didn't uh, cover it on the show um, because we can only get so much in. But he, he talks, um, it's well thought out, and he talks a lot about, um, you know, I mean, who could be more focused than somebody who's flying in the Blue Angels team, right? Can yeah. you imagine the kind of focus? Yeah, if you're not focused, uh, big trouble. <laughs> yeah, and he writes in here, focus separates the professional from the all-pro and the all-pro from the Hall of Famer. So um, some good information in there. It's, it is more of a, a business kind of book. Um, his, his tag is, are you ready to take your individual and team performance to the highest level? It's time to enter the high-performance zone. And the book is called Fearless Success. And John Foley is the name. And... We'll give, uh, we have this to give away. If you'd like to um, join the, um, if you'd like to participate in that, we will, I'm going to give you the email address and the phone number, and I will pick names at the end of the day, uh, throw them into a hat, literally. <laughs> and I will, I have a straw hat in my, in my studio. <laughs> I'll throw them in there and we'll pick a name and uh, whoever's name comes out of the hat will win. So the, the number to call is one 800 495 7617 1-800-495-7617 or you can go to our website info at conversationslive.net whichever works best for you info at conversationslive.net all right we need to take a quick break we're going to come back with more you're listening to conversations live with vicky st Clair. have fun this boating season and be safe when you're in open water, it's not enough to be a good swimmer. River currents, ocean riptides, and cold temperatures can quickly sweep you off course and disorient you. Don't rely on swim aids such as water wings or noodles. Everyone should wear a Coast Guard-approved life jacket. Make sure you know CPR and never drink and boat. Learn more about boating safety from the professionals at uscgboating.org. Brought to you by supporters of Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Coming up July 15th on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, we'll take a deep dive into friendship. Why some people have many friends, others just one or two. Why friendships last, or don't. Why it's harder to develop deep friendships as you get older and how to spot the red flags of a toxic relationship before it's too late. Tune in Mondays at noon Pacific and Fridays at 6 a.m. Find more details at conversationslive.net. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Ordinary people leading extraordinary lives. Advertise. Learn more at conversationslive.net. 
An alternative to everything else on your radio dial. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicky St. Clair. I'm joined in the studio by Eric Ryder. I'm always joined by Eric. Today, he's joining us on the mic. Yes, indeed. (laughs) So we're talking about uh, some of the books from my uh, 50 summer reading recommendations for this year. Um, And they're very, very diverse. And I just picked out a handful here because we only have so much time to go through them. If you'd like a copy, I have a digital uh, download for you uh, that I can email. um, And uh, you can just email me at info at conversationslive.net if you'd like a copy of that. Um, all right, so you go ahead next. Save my voice. Yeah, it's croaking again. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, before, right before the break, you mentioned a book that you recommended for reading on the beach because it was full of short entries, so you could kind of, uh, you know, pause and come back to it without losing the overall thread of the book. That was said much more eloquently than I said, but you've had time to practice. <laughs> Well, I was just going to recommend another one of those. Uh, not on the list today, but when we when you mentioned to me we'd be doing the book list, I was thinking about what books that I really enjoy recently. And this one, as I say, I'm always late <laughs> into the game. This one came out in 2015, but it's still just a, a really <laughs> fun book and perfect for beach reading or anything where you want to read, you know, some short entries and enjoy those and then come back to it whenever you want. Uh, the League of Regrettable Superheroes by John Morris uh, is a really fun book. It's half-baked heroes from comic book history. And he goes all through the, uh, the, the different ages of comic books and basically picks like the lamest <laughs> comic book superheroes of all time. Uh, and then does like a short summary and then some samples from their various comic books. And it, it really is a lot of laugh, laugh out loud moments and some just some really fun. If you if you like graphic novels or comic books at all, I, I think this is well worth picking up. And he's got uh, a couple follow ups, including the Legion of Regrettable Supervillains and uh, the League of Regrettable Sidekicks. So all worth reading. They're short, uh, but just packed with fun stuff, for sure. Name of the book again? It's called The League of Regrettable Superheroes, Half-Baked Heroes from Comic Book History by John Morris. (laughs) (laughs) The title is a mouthful, but uh, it's well worth picking up. All right. So I'm going to give away uh, three more books here, and um, one to each person we can do that because I've got three. depends how the calls come in, right? But they're, they're for children, and this is why I wanted to do this, because as a kid, my parents always took us to the Midland Educational Center in Birmingham City, where I grew up, and we picked out our library for the summer, which I used to love as a child. And so um, there's stories about animals, and, um, and there's a story. It's not just, uh, it's not just uh, nonfiction. I mean, there's story behind it is what I'm trying to say. And I have to pick out this one first. My sister is going to kill me. <laughs> um, it's called Karen's Heart. And I say that because my sister, my sister's name is Karen. And she is obsessed. She's been obsessed with monkeys of any kind, chimpanzees, whatever, since she was a child. When she was a kid, she used to beg my parents, please buy me a monkey. <laughs> and in this book, the book, the monkey is called Karen. <laughs> It looks like an orangutan. This is an orangutan. Yeah. But there's um, 
there's different pictures in here as we go through. This one is an orangutan. It's, I mean, it's so, look at how Aww. adorable. And her name is Karen. Oh, what She's a cute just monkey. gorgeous. But anyway, <laughs> I, I have three of these uh, books to give away. One is Karen's Heart about the orangutan. And very quickly, I'm going to run through yes. these. One is Fabulous Floyd. It's the story of a flamingo who never gave up. And it is, um, this one is Ruxa and Raina. It's the story of a cheetah and a dog. It's a true story of friendship and miracles. So if you would like any, either of those books, then you can reach us at info at conversationslive.net or 1-800-495-7617. 1-800-495-7617. Leave your name and which book you're interested in, and we'll do a straw hat drawing at the end of the day. And by the way, we're using the colloquial version of monkey. We know that an orangutan is an ape, so no it, need to write it. It's an ape, right, right. <laughs> so, my, yeah, my sister is really obsessed with chimps, but, yes. but any kind of baby, That's right. ape, or whatever. They're all adorable. See, there's, there's one here that looks more, I thought that was a monkey, but that's, I can tell now <laughs> oh, it's an orangutan. orangutan. Yeah. But yeah. that's the true story of a brave baby orangutan who are, of course, endangered. So Beautiful. educate our kids early with pictures and stories. That's what I say. All right. Next one, Eric. Uh, let's talk about Recursion by Blake Crouch. Uh, this is a sci-fi thriller, and this is a new book. It just came out uh, last month. And while a new disease called false memory uh, while a new disease called false memory syndrome which causes people to remember things that never happened in whole lives they never lived, is spreading throughout the country. Barry Sutton investigates the death of a woman possibly afflicted with this illness, which leads him to a neuroscientist. She's developing a technology involving memory that could have sinister consequences. Blake Crouch is known for writing incredibly human takes on sci-fi that make you consider a big life question. In Recursion's case, the question is, what is memory? So Interesting. Yeah. And I read in there, uh, there's a note there that the neuroscientists plan, actually planted false memories in a mouse, was it? Yeah, in the brain of a mouse. Yeah, it's, uh, he listened the acknowledgement, acknowledgements, apparently, to MIT neuroscientists that implanted the false memory in the brain of a mouse. And now consider that for a minute, especially after you read the book. Yeah, it makes you wonder. All right, this one is kind of a weird one. You're probably thinking, Vicky, do I really want to read that <laughs> on the beach? <laughs> um, why did I pull it? Well, remember, I have a list Depends of... Depends what's on the cover. <laughs> I, have a, I have a list of 50 books, okay? Yes. Uh, this is just one of them. And the reason I picked it is because I, I don't understand the fascination myself. I come from England, but it seems people have been obsessed for 130 years with the stories of Jack the Ripper. And this particular book is told, it's written by Hallie Rubenhold. Um, and it's not about Jack the Ripper. It's about the women who were killed by Jack the Ripper. Mm. And she wrote this book. It's called The Five, The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper. And she doesn't focus on any of the gruesome slayings. Right. Um, so, yes, don't worry about that. That's <laughs> she doesn't focus on that. Um, she really wanted to bring forward the names of these women because yeah. they're always, and it's true, they're always marginalized as women of the night, which mm -hmm. is what they were called back then, yeah. right? And their names are Polly, uh, Mary Ann Polly Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, 
and Mary Jane Kelly. She wanted to bring them into the light. She wanted to recreate their stories and and basically uh, tell some of what was their life like and give them back their dignity. So again, the five, the untold lives of the women killed by Jack the Ripper. All right, that that brings us way almost to the end of the show, right? Are we all done with your list, Eric, or did we have another one? Uh, there was one more Go if ahead. we have time. Real quick. Let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the name of the book. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it is by uh, Roger Engel. For many decades, Roger Engel has written for and worked as an editor at The New Yorker, where he's essentially royalty. And uh, these personal, uh, perfectly written essays reflect on multiple themes and characters that have come up in his very long life in a way that lights up every page. Time Magazine says Roger Engel is one of the most entertaining and gracious uh, pro styles of his generation. So, again, it's called Let Me Finish. <laughs> I'll let you have the last word. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I wanted to squeeze that one in just because he's he's such a renowned writer. And um, I mean, they say, he, you know, it's prose uh, listen, reading his work. All right. So thank you so much, Eric, for joining us and doing this with us. It's always fun. Always a pleasure. We never have enough time. I always think we're going to have way more time. <laughs> it goes by so fast. <laughs> All right. So uh, that does bring us to the end of today's show. If you'd uh, like to uh, give us feedback or comments on today's show, you can find me at conversationslive.net or at our 800 number, which is 800-495-7617. Uh, 800-495-7617. Uh, if you have any informa- uh, any questions on my first guest and how to contact him, uh, you can contact me there too. And uh, we will be back next week. Until then, I'm going to just say uh, you can find us on Facebook at Conversations Live with Vicky St. Clair. And on, my voice is going. And on Twitter at Vicky St. Clair. And uh, we'll be back next week. Live well, live strong. Radio is very competitive. Shows soar in popularity and then flame out. Sometimes, however, a real connection is made with an audience, and success blooms year after year. For over a decade, Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair has built a loyal following thanks to inspiring and stimulating conversation. Longevity, loyalty, exclusivity. Smart advertisers seek it out. With Vicki's valuable audience, the search is over. Discover the affordable, effective ways to advertise your business. Log on to Conversations Live. Live.net. That's conversationslive.net today.